Hi guys, it's Libby, and today I'm here with Carolyn Malamakulu, and she is out of Austin, Texas. She is an art therapist and psychotherapist and blogger, and um, I actually found her as I was looking through mental health journals and self-improvement section on Amazon. I came across her book um, that she recently published in earlier in 2020 called The Balanced Mind, which is a mental health journal. And um, you can also find more about her and find her book and her blog posts and about what she does um, at creativityintherapy.com. So to get started, um, I would love for you to just share um, a little bit more about like who you are personally, just so the audience can kind of get to know you more, maybe about like your family, what it was like for you growing up, what kind of got you interested in art therapy and even just things you like to do outside of like your professional life, whatever you want to, whatever you want to spiel about yourself. Yeah, sure. So, and thanks for having me on today. It's good to talk to yeah, you. Yeah, of course. So, um, so yeah, as you mentioned, I live in Austin, Texas. Uh, I live with my husband and a six-year-old son. And um, I guess things I enjoy doing outside of work. Um, I love to do art, so that's part of why I got interested yeah. in art therapy. <laughs> Reasonable. Um, yes, definitely don't do as much as I always kind of wish I was. But um, yeah. And then also like to spend time outdoors, so I enjoy gardening and getting out and going hiking. Um, like to go camping, so we have a camping trip planned next weekend. Oh, so, fun. Yeah, I like to do things like that, spend time outdoors as much as possible. Um, and then, um, yeah, growing up, um, I got interested in art therapy because I was looking for careers related to art. So I was kind of always interested in, in drawing and crafting and making art when I was a kid and always kind of enjoyed that and had fun with it, but uh, got the advice from some people that that wasn't really a great career option. <laughs> <laughs> um, hard to make money as an artist, uh, yeah, not definitely. to say that people shouldn't pursue their passion, but kind of just being realistic for myself, um, I started kind of looking at what were other things I could do with that interest and found out about art therapy and loved the aspect of being able to help people, you know, being able to do something where I could work yeah. with people and help them. And so kind of went into college knowing that that was something I wanted to pursue and learn more about and started studying psychology and art in college, kind of heading in that direction. Cool. That's that's awesome. And it, and it is really interesting, like as I've interviewed people, how often like uh, what their career is or what they're interested in kind of shows up in their youth um, or as kids, which has been like a really instant, interesting, like pretty consistent pattern, um, even if it kind of showed up in a subtle way. But also I would love for you to just expound a little bit more on like what art therapy is, because like for me, I mean, I know to an extent, but you know, oftentimes you think of therapy as just like going in and like talking to someone. And I would just, I would love to hear like how it differs from just, because I've never personally gone into like an art therapy clinic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So art therapy is, there is definitely some overlap with like traditional talk therapy that people yeah. might think of. Um, but it also has that element of using the art as a way that people can express and explore what's going on with them. So the art therapist would guide their client in doing different art activities that, um, pop, you know, kind of serve different purposes. So sometimes the art 
might be to do something that's like relaxing and soothing for you if you're feeling kind of upset about something in the moment or if you're needing to learn tools to relax and calm down. Um, the art could also be ways to like explore and express what you are feeling. So kind of using the art as a way to put your feelings on the page um, especially things that might be difficult to talk about um, mm. can sometimes feel easier for people to express through the art. And then it also can be a way that um, sometimes things we're not consciously aware of can also come out and be explored. So a lot of times when we're talking, we filter what we're saying, right? We kind of think about what we <laughs> yeah. want to say. We have our typical answers that we give to our questions. And so sometimes the art process is another way to go around that and kind of bring up and look at things in a different way as well. So, and then with all of that, it's you've got that supportive relationship from the therapist. And so somebody who's guiding you in that, who's able to talk with you about your art, and then kind of able to help you look at next steps moving forward and have that healing relationship as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I bet it's especially impactful with like, like children or like young people, because I, I feel like maybe when you're younger and don't have as much of like a range of vocabulary, I feel like art therapy would be something really powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think art therapy is it's great with all ages, um, but it is definitely when, when kids come into therapy, I think it's one of the, one of the methods that works really well with them. Cause it is so hard for kids to just like sit and talk about yeah. what they're feeling. Right. Yeah. And it can feel really scary and uncomfortable. And so having options like art therapy and play therapy can really help them open up a lot more. Yeah. Well, and also like between, uh, like children, teenagers, and adults, is the art you're having them do like fairly similar or does it, um, or is it more like complex for adults or do you just keep it pretty simple like all throughout? Uh, no, it can definitely vary. I would say it can get, uh, the, the art could get more complex, more meaningful sometimes for adults or teenagers, um, whereas the art that kids do might be yet not as multi-layered in meaning yeah. Um, yeah. or not as, yeah, just not as uh, involved sometimes. Yeah. So there are definitely ways that we kind of target the art or the directives that we're giving clients like based on their age and then also kind of based on what they're needing in the moment too. Yeah. And I was also, I was also really interested in your book just because I actually bought it, but it's not here yet, but I'm really excited to use it just because, um, for a long time, I would try like journaling um, and I felt like it was just really me just kind of being practical and logical and just kind of writing down like what I learned that day. And it was really hard for me to be consistent. And then I remember like um, near the beginning of 2020, um, I, I would try and um, at least I try to meditate like at least five, 10, 15 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And um I started journaling after I meditated and I found that if I used an art book, an art notebook instead of a lined notebook, that I was much more likely to be consistent just because I felt like it wasn't restricted and I could add like little doodles or like I could have more fun with it. And I actually mm -hmm. looked forward to it. Um, and I, and I'm not like an artist by any means, but it was just like so much more fun for me. And um, I felt like I could portray more what I wanted to like write down if I did it without any lines. So I was really interested in your book when I saw it on Amazon, just because it's kind of uh, similar to that experience that I had. 
um, kind of combining like those mental health prompts with art. Um, so I would also, yeah, I would love for you to expound a little bit more on like what the balanced mind is and how it, um, and like what kind of prompts you have in there and how you feel it can like help people, um, journal and work through their emotions. Yeah. Um, so I think part of the, part of the purpose of the book is kind of similar to what you spoke to, which is that I think journaling can be something that is really great for people to do, but can feel really hard to do sometimes, right? Yeah. Or can feel hard to do in a way that really feels helpful for us. But I think a lot of people experience that same thing of not being consistent with it or not being sure in the moment, like, am I getting any value from this? Um, and how, you know, how is this actually helping me? Or the, what do I write about? What do I write about in my journal? What, what do I draw about if I want to do art? And so yeah. I think the structure of uh, something like the balanced mind can kind of help you with with that like what should I do piece and so the prompts in it are kind of a mix of prompts for writing and then prompts for art and some of them go together and all of them kind of build on each other so some of them ask to like reflect on different things and then some of them will give you an art process to, an activity to engage in and then kind of reflect on how that art activity was um, helpful or calming or soothing for you or how did it help express something um, and so the prompts also kind of touch on a couple of different aspects of mental health um, that mm -hmm. they look at expressing and regulating your emotions which is typically what we think of for mental health right is that emotions yeah. piece and so that's one piece of it but then it also um, has some components in there about mindfulness and so um, meditation, but also other aspects of mindfulness of kind of building awareness and presence in your life and doing that through both the art and the writing. Um, it has prompts around movement and so how to incorporate more movement into oh, your life because that can have such a beneficial impact on our mental health. And then part of the prompts are about relationships. And so knowing that having healthy, supportive relationships in our lives can make such a big difference in our yeah. mental health. Um, that was a piece that's explored in the journal as well. And so a lot of them are kind of self-reflection, but some of them also include pieces of like, how could you take action? So what are things that you could maybe do moving forward to continue to support yourself in your mental health? I love that. And is there, um, like, could you share like an example of one of those prompts? Like what kind of questions that you um, prefer to ask people or like to get them thinking um, about their mental health and their emotions? Yeah, so um, i trying to think like what would be a good example to share, but I think they, because <laughs> <laughs> um, I try to cover a pretty broad, a broad range of things. And yeah. so, for example, like in the emotion section, um, some of the prompts start kind of simple on like just look back at your day and try to notice a few emotions that came up for you and mm -hmm. write about those emotions and what triggered them and then kind of write about what thoughts came up for you. Um, and then there's also an art prompt about using line shapes and colors to express your feelings on the page. So kind of giving somebody an outlet for those emotions and also a different way mm -hmm. to look at how they're feeling. Um, and then the, a later prompt kind of gives um, some suggestions for self-care. There's um, a list in the back of the book of different self-care ideas. 
And so one of the art prompts is to kind of choose your own self-care activities and make a collage about them. So do a collection of either drawings or pasting pictures in to remind you of those self-care activities. So kind of taking that piece of like recognizing how you're feeling, but then what can you do with that to take care of yourself? Yeah. And then as the journal goes, there's other prompts about kind of like reflecting on identity like there's one about looking at like labels people have put on you and are some of those labels things that you want to let go of and move forward Mm, and how do you want to like see yourself instead moving forward with that and um to expound a little bit more you mentioned self-care I was just wondering because I feel that sometimes self-care um has become kind of like or like um self-love has become kind of like a commercialized term And I was wondering, like, what um, kind of self-care activities you actually mention in there. Because because I feel like it's become kind of commercialized. People are just like, oh, that's like taking a bath, which is like not really what self-care actually is. And I was wondering, like, what some of those actual examples are that you share in the book. Yeah, so really broadly, I think of self-care as like any activity we're doing that takes care of ourselves and so some of those things might be things that are relaxing and fun where we're kind of intentionally looking for um you know do i want to eat a favorite meal or um, watch a movie or take a bubble bath you know like all those things i think do it's definitely those things but self-care i think can also be um you know making sure we're taking time for our physical health as well Mm Um, making sure that we're taking care of our relationships. So reaching out to people that support us, talking to them, spending time with them, asking for help is self-care that doesn't always feel so good. You know, I think for a lot of people, asking for help and saying when you're struggling can be a hard thing to do, but that's an important piece of self-care. You know, engaging with spirituality um, for people who are spiritual, Um, meditation, you know, things like that, I think are really important. And then I think too, there's, there's all those things that sometimes feel uncomfortable to address and look at. And sometimes that's a piece of self care too, is like, not just ignoring the difficult things that are going on. But if we're noticing that we're struggling with something, taking the time to look at it and work on it, um, having a difficult conversation with somebody to get your relationship back on track, you know, could be self-care, but it's not as much fun as getting our nails done. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, really. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, I think think another thing that I've noticed with self-care is sometimes people use it as a way to kind of like, oh, I can put up with all this hard stuff if you just do some self-care. And so I think that's another piece of that kind of dark side of all the commercialization of self-care is if we're using it to discredit the difficult things people are going through. Um, So I think that's just a piece for, I would encourage people to keep in mind is, you know, when you are, you know, if you have a mental health diagnosis or if you're going through traumatic experiences, um, you know, there's only so much self-care can do and that we should still do it, but we also need to recognize that there's a lot more that needs to be done to support people in those situations absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah i love that and um so to kind of dive in what i specifically wanted to talk about which is what this kind of series that i'm doing on my podcast is is advice you would give to your 20 year old self um, or yourself in college 
I'm, I'm wondering if there's anything in specific that comes to mind for you about um, what you would have told yourself as a 20-year-old. I would probably tell myself not to worry so much. <laughs> Me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I very much at that age, um, and I mean, even high school, college, early 20s, was very worried about needing to do everything right so that everything moved in the right direction, right? And very focused on like what I needed to achieve and accomplish and more perfectionistic um, than I definitely am now, although it still yeah. comes up. But I think that's a big part of what I would tell myself is just to have a little more faith that everything would work out as long as I kept moving forward with things and to not get so caught up in those anxieties and worries and perfectionism with things. Yeah. And like with that perfectionism, it's really interesting because I think there is a lot, especially when you're in school, like in college, there is a lot of like perfectionist habits um, and like worrying just because it's just, it's such a like, really amazing but like scary like unsure time in life and I'm wondering like where I'm wondering if you have any thoughts of like why that is like why we tend to be I mean or just people in general like tend to be perfectionists or at that age like just worry so much and what we can do to just um kind of get out of that that mindset I think it's one thing that we can do is recognize i think that the way we're thinking about things is not necessarily the way that they are and so being able to sort out a little bit of that you know when when is something a fear and when is it a reality um and also like looking at where are those messages coming from and i think that's one thing i notice especially now working with with people in high school and college is they're they are getting a lot of messages about like, you need to do all of these things if yeah. you want to be successful in the future, even more than I remember getting in high school, you know, that kids talking about all these extracurriculars that they need to do and constantly worrying about their class rank and what college they're going to get to. And then when you're yeah. in college, like already being worried about what job they're going to get next. And it's like, we need a certain amount of that so that we do kind of do what we need to do, right? And I think um, we need a certain like drive for achievement to be successful, but to recognize when it maybe when it becomes all consuming and trying to find a little more balance in our lives and a little more just knowing that it's okay to make some mistakes and it's not gonna derail our entire life for us. Yeah, but I think, yeah. yeah. But a lot of really <laughs> concerned adults are giving people the advice that, you know, we need to do everything perfectly in order mm -hmm. to achieve what we want yeah and um and you also said like working with high schoolers and college students um i'm i'm wondering if there is like uh any like consistent patterns or like common things that come up within those um with within those people those young people that you talk to uh or like advice that that um tends to be of a lot of help for those for those people because i i don't know i'm just i guess i'm just wondering if there's like any consistent things you see coming up because oftentimes i feel like as young people we can feel like like no one else feels like this or i uh like everyone else seems to kind of know what they're doing um and i'm yeah i'm just wondering like 
a little bit more like what that's what it has been like working with those people for you and and maybe just like things you see that commonly come up mm, yeah no i think your point that like we we i think we do tend to feel isolated sometimes and think that we're the only one going through something that's definitely a theme i see coming up is um, when people are struggling or feeling worried or feeling depressed that they do think that they're the only one dealing with this right everyone else has it figured out and everyone else knows what they're doing and i'm the only one that's scared or messing up and i would let people know that like that's definitely not true you know that everyone else is just trying to figure it out just as much as you are yeah. and that process will continue for the rest of your life you know i think you know even at my age it's easy to look around and think like everyone else you know has it all together and everyone else has it yeah. figured out and then you get to know these people and realize like no every everyone has their own anxieties and stresses and insecurities that they're dealing with as well and so i think mm -hmm. um trying to have some compassion for ourselves is so important to know that we're all human and we're all you know just trying to figure it out one day at a time mm -hmm. and are there way like ways that you could suggest to uh show more compassion to ourselves so i think it it is something that you can kind of build a practice around of starting mm -hmm. to kind of um first be aware you know to be aware of what's going on internally for yourself to notice like what's that um, what's your self-talk, right? Noticing mm -hmm. as you go through your day, are you being kind of harsh and critical? Or are you kind of constantly putting yourself down or thinking that you didn't do good enough? And when you notice those things, kind of really consciously stopping and thinking and trying to talk to yourself as though you would talk to a friend or mm. to a child and that we would never say those things to our friend that we say to ourselves every day a lot of times. And so kind of journaling about or internally telling ourselves that more compassionate language, it can be both soothing in the moment, right, to kind of hear that message from ourselves, but over time can build that habit more and more of kind of going to that place of, it's okay to make mistakes, I'm doing the best I can, I can give myself kindness, I can get through this, you know, um, Krista Neff has done some really great work around self-compassion. So I'd say for anyone who's curious um, to kind of find out a little bit more, um, selfcompassion.org is her website. And she's got some really great exercises on there and some good meditations that people can do to build more of that habit of self-compassion for themselves. Interesting. I love that. I'll definitely have to look that up because I think it's really cool when uh, people focus on like one specific emotion or um, like thought process and they really dive deep into it. I find stuff like that super interesting. So I'll definitely have to uh, look that up. And I'm also wondering, um, like with the process, uh, especially being in college or trying to figure out like in your 20s, trying to figure out, uh, you know, your career, like marriage or like like if you're going to move somewhere or anything like that or, or paying your rent <laughs> um i'm wondering like what it's if there's things that you can suggest to help um myself and other people that are listening that are around my age 
um, how to be like more patient in that process? Hmm. I think, I think it's hard. It definitely is hard to be patient with ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. And so I guess I would just offer the perspective of somebody who's like farther down the road, just to, again, to know that it will work out, um, but that it does take time, you know, and I think looking back, um, there was definitely like jobs that I worked that I did not want to be working when I, you know, um, or that I would never do again. And just as an example of like something to be patient with, right, is like looking back at those things, like they were hard and they were stressful, but they were the step I needed to get me to where I needed to go next. And mm -hmm. to kind of recognize that with a lot of things in our life, whether it's, you know, an entry level job or, um, you know, moving on from a relationship or, you know, just the process of being in college, all of those things are just part of our process of growing and learning and developing. And so I think looking for like, how is this moment? How is this time that I'm going through maybe helping me to grow in some way? How can I make mm. it a worthwhile time for myself, even if it's not where I wish I was, you know, even if I wish I was you know, onto the next phase. Yeah. Just to recognize that there's value in all those pieces, especially if we look for it and kind of try to find what we can to grow from that time. Yeah. And like along with that um, process, and like you said, like uh, drawing lessons out of situations that or uh, or careers or, or stepping stones that maybe you aren't loving, um, I'm wondering also like how young people can better navigate those decisions um, just because I mean they really at the end of the day they do I feel impact your life quite a bit like your career or who you marry mm -hmm. um, and how like advice you would give to kind of navigate those decisions a little bit better. I would say don't, I mean, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for help from people mm. that um, I think sometimes we can feel a lot of pressure to make those decisions all on our own or to know the right answer. And so some people are, you know, lucky to have supportive family and friends that they can talk to about those things. And um, some people not as much, but you know, that's part of what therapy can be for. So <laughs> as a therapist, I'll get a, give a plug for that. Um, yeah. But, you know, just having a space sometimes where you can talk to someone and talk through um, how you're feeling and what's motivating this decision and what your fears are and what your hopes are and to really be able to explore all those things with somebody, I think can help people find a lot of clarity in those decisions. Um, and then to even with self-help, you know, taking time to journal about those things to really be reflective um, to kind of and then in that reflection to really kind of listen to your own inner voice and your intuition about things, I think can also help with that decision making process. Um, so, and I think, yeah, yeah, with all that, you know, with all that talking to other people, too, I think it's good to get advice from people around you to hear what. Um, other people would think is good for you, but also to know that you can trust yourself, that, you know, that ultimately that you'll know what's best for you if you kind of take the time to reflect on it. Yeah, absolutely. And 
uh, I love that you, because I'm, I mean, I'm a huge believer in therapy myself. I think everyone, uh, but therapy can definitely be beneficial for everyone. Um, and I, well, just as you were talking, it just reminded me, like, I remember, um, especially with young people, I feel like there can be kind of like a, uh, I don't know if stigma is the word, but just that, like, if you go to therapy, there's, like, something wrong with you or something, like, seriously wrong with you, and I remember, like, uh, I think I first went to therapy when I was, like, 13 or 14, because uh, our family was going through a really hard time, and I remember my mom being, like, I want you guys to try going to therapy, and I was so angry, because I was, like, there's nothing wrong with me, like, I can figure it out myself, and, you know, 14-year-old Livy, I don't know what I'm talking about. And um, and I just remember being, like, and my, and my friends would hear that I was going to therapy or I'd be like, yeah, I have to go to, like, a therapy session a day. And I felt, like, so embarrassed about it, uh, like, me in, like, middle school or whatever, um, just thinking, like, oh, like, all these people around me think that I'm, like, crazy or something. Um, and I'm wondering, like, obviously you are a therapist, but, like, um, just expound like a little bit more like why you feel therapy can be so helpful, especially for uh, people like around my age. Yeah, I think you, I think you bring up a really good point that therapy is not just for when we're crazy and not just yeah. for when we have like, you know, a serious depression or something like that. Um, I think therapy can be, it could be just a couple sessions to help you kind of talk through something that you're feeling unsure of, or it could be a support that you have long-term. Um, but I think part of what can be so good about it is um, first that aspect of really dedicating time to yourself and your self-reflection. Mm. I think that's a piece that, um, that I didn't really understand before getting into the career, you know, into this career and before doing therapy myself that, you know, we always have these great ideas that like, oh, I'm going to make time to journal. I'm going to make time to meditate. And sometimes we don't. And so yeah. even just having an hour a week, an hour every two weeks where you're dedicating to yourself can be really helpful. Um, and then having that, I think the presence of the therapist is the other piece that's really helpful. So somebody who's going to be completely neutral, that is non-judgmental, and is really there to support you in uncovering what's best for yourself. You know, that it's not necessarily somebody that's going to give you advice or decide what's right for you, but is going to give you that space where you can really figure it out for yourself. And a lot of times we have, you know, great friends and great family that will support us in other ways, but they have their own opinions, right? They have their judgments. Um, we have our worries about how our friends and family perceive us that, you know, always lead to like not being completely honest and open. But, you know, with a therapist, they're not going to tell anybody else what you said and you can be as honest as you need to be in that space. And I think that can be really helpful for a lot of people. Absolutely. I totally agree. And it's been uh, it is really interesting, like even with myself, how I've been able where even at times where I'm like, well, I don't really feel like there's that much I need to like unravel right now uh and then like going to therapy and realizing there were like deep-rooted things that were bothering me uh and it's really it is really interesting uh just because I feel that 
sometimes we might think that maybe there isn't really anything I need to go to therapy for or like I've kind of already figured it out myself and sometimes like you said like when you're talking to somebody that is neutral unbiased they can bring up perspectives that you've never even you've never even thought of um and I'm also wondering this is a little bit more like logical question I guess but like how does I think finding a therapist that you feel that you connect with um, can be challenging. And I'm wondering if you have, I don't know if that's kind of a hard question to answer, like any um, advice on like how to find a good therapist for you? Yeah, no, that's such an important thing to be thinking about. Cause I do think a lot of people have that experience sometimes of going to therapy, not connecting with a therapist mm-hmm. and then deciding, well, therapy didn't work. When really it just wasn't the right person for you. Um, And that having the right fit and the right relationship with somebody is is most of what makes the difference in going to therapy. Mm. And so I think, you know, the great thing about the internet now is that most therapists have websites. And so that's a good place to start is like giving yourself... (laughs) Google search. (laughs) Exactly. Giving yourself time to do some research um, to kind of see what are people saying about their approaches? What's the language that the therapist is using on the website? And does that kind of resonate with the way you see the world um, is one piece, I think. Um, you know, being able to sometimes look at like therapists on social media, what are they posting and how does that kind of connect with what you value and what feels right to you can be another piece. Um, looking for therapists that specialize in what you're struggling in. I think it's also mm. really important that sometimes when people haven't gone to therapy or haven't aren't as familiar, they kind of assume, well, all therapists will talk about all things. And, oh, yeah. you know, technically, yes, we're trained to be able to go, you know, to help anybody. But a lot of therapists really specialize and hone in on certain niches. And so looking for a therapist that really focuses on your primary concern can make a big difference too. So if you're really struggling with anxiety, looking for a therapist who kind of speaks to anxiety and focusing on that um, can help you have a better experience too. Um, And then I would say too, don't be afraid to ask questions. So Mm. a lot of therapists will do like an initial phone call before you have your first session. And so you can take that as a time to kind of ask questions to see you know, how does this person feel warm? Do they feel accepting? Um, and do they kind of, how do they kind of handle the questions that I'm asking? And does that feel like it's the right fit for me or not? Mm-hmm. And then if yeah, you go lo- and it I doesn't feel right, like try somebody else. It's okay. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I love the advice you gave to find someone that specializes in uh like your primary concern. I honestly, I don't think I've ever even thought about that because there is, uh, I mean, like even right now, I've been looking for um, a new therapist just because there's something specific that I that I would like to work on. And I don't know why it had never even crossed my mind to try and find someone that specifically specializes in that, in that field. Um, so I love that. Um, and I'm also, I'm wondering too, um, like back to art therapy, I'm interested in, like, the science behind it. Like, I'm wondering if you could explain that a little bit. Like, how does art therapy interact with your brain in the way that just, like, um, like 
just solely like speaking um like therapy just talking um how how it's different Mm -hmm. like at a scientific level yeah so i think i mean at a basic level you know the different areas of our brain do different things right and so talking just draws on one specific area of our brain whereas art interacts more with that visual processing parts of our brain and so that's part of what can make it helpful is just that combination of both the talking the verbal and the visual that Mm. helps us to kind of bring out and express things in a different way Um, and then especially if you're working with something related to like memories and trauma a lot of that can be stored as a visual memory so it's not just the words and the story we tell but that visual um, recollection that we have and so being able to explore that through the art can tap into that in a different way and then i think another thing that's really helpful is the kind of physical aspect of doing art so again we're not just sitting there but we're actually moving through doing the art process and so for a lot of people um it feels more engaging because your whole person is engaged in the process and then it also can feel um, kind of soothing like if you think about moving your arm back and forth as you're coloring or painting that there's this like soothing repetition in that rhythm and movement that happens Um, or if you're trying to express like a very intense feeling to be able to like scribble that out or smash something and like actually do something experiential to where you're like physically releasing that emotion. Um, I think that's kind of taps into our brain in a different way in that aspect as well. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And and also I'm, I'm wondering as well, um, how might someone know that maybe like if they're considering going to therapy or if, if they've never been, to a therapist before, uh, how they might know that maybe art therapy would be more the path for them uh, as opposed to just like standard and just talking? Yeah, I would say if, first of all, I think if somebody feels like they would struggle with that verbal component of therapy, then art therapy would be a good one to try. So if you're kind of approaching therapy feeling like I don't feel comfortable opening up. I'm not sure how to talk about things. I always have a hard time with how to put my feelings into words. Um, Then art therapy might be a great way for you to be able to kind of engage in treatment in a different way. Um, I think also too, if somebody is looking for something that's a little bit more just experiential and engaging. So if you're kind of feeling Mm. like just that you're not sure that you want to just sit there and talk, that it might feel nice to be able to do something else, um, then art is one way to do that. And then of course, if somebody's, you know, interested in art, a lot of times people who are artists or have an interest in creativity, they already have that comfort in expressing themselves through the art. They've had those experiences Mm. of knowing like that it's a release or that it's a comfort to be able to do art. And so I think they're naturally a good fit for art therapy. Um, but I think it's also important for people to know that you don't have to be good at art to do art therapy. Yeah. So that's definitely not something that would be a criteria. And just to know that, like, really the art that you're doing in art therapy can look like anything. And it definitely doesn't need to be good. And nobody else is seeing it. And so you can still get benefit in engaging in that process and being creative. 
regardless of what it ends up looking like. Mm-hmm. And is there anything, is there anything else like, um, advice or anything in specific that you would like to talk about, uh, specifically related to like those in their twenties? I think, and we've touched on this a little bit in the conversation, but I would just say to, to not be afraid to reach out and ask for help from other people, you know, that I think there can be this, this drive sometimes to like be independent, to feel like you have it all figured out, to feel yep. like, you know, to feel like that that's what success is or that that's what being a grown up is, is knowing how to handle it all on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really, I think it's important to remember that we're all interconnected and we all can benefit from having support from other people that it's, we can reach out and ask for help and get support from other people is so important. And then as an art therapist, I would encourage people to be creative, to like find some way to be creative in your own life. And for some people that's art, um, crafting, but for other people it might be, you know, music or cooking or gardening um, or writing, you know, but finding some way to express yourself and be creative can bring a lot of benefit to our lives. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love that you mentioned at the beginning too, that you garden. I would, I've always like wanted to try and get into gardening and it's just, I don't know. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> um, have you in, well, like in Texas, does it get, um, is it hard, harder to garden there? I mean, like here, it doesn't get nearly as hot as it does in Texas. Like, well, how does that, that was kind of yeah, random. No, but. that's okay. No, uh, August was killer on my garden for sure. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it kind of, the spring and early summer are good. And I think, uh, but then, yeah, there's a point in the late summer where everything kind of dies. And yeah. then, but then you get to start over again in the fall because um, yeah. we have a long enough fall that we can do a second garden. Um, mm. So, but I will say, yeah, it was very nice in like March and April to have mm. gardening because when everything felt completely out of control. Oh yeah. I it bet. was like so great to like watch little plants growing and have tomatoes and cantaloupe and just finding joy in those like little things that I could be in control of in my life were great. Yeah. Yeah. And and it makes me think of too, I remember I had, um, someone on the podcast and he said, um, what was it? It was, um, he was just talking about like what, like gardening or planting things can actually teach you. And he was like, true change like happens at the pace of nature. Uh, and that like planting things and like watching them grow can teach you that. And I thought it was really interesting um, so I like, I think the, the concept of gardening can actually teach you a lot. And like, I, yeah, I'm sure that was like amazing to have that in March, uh, and April when everything kind of went down yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, so to kind of, to kind of wrap up, I like to ask, uh, a few rapid fire questions that to my guests, are you good to do that? Okay, sure. Okay, perfect. So first question is what is a book and a movie that you would recommend to anybody listening? Oh, kind of hard. Yeah. If you, if you can't pick one or you can't pick any, that is okay. I'm not sure if I have an answer to that. Like I would, I read constantly, which then means yeah. I like never have a favorite book. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Not a movie either. Movies, it's so hard to pick one movie when people ask your favorite movie. Yeah, again, I yeah, I don't know. That's okay, that's okay. Um, next question, what is something that made you laugh really hard recently or someone? Someone who made me laugh really hard was my son. Yeah, I mean, having a six-year-old, <laughs> there's... Um, definitely plenty of frustrations in the day but there are so many things that make me laugh and so yeah I love that mm-hmm. is there anything in specific that he has said to you that just like cracked you up I mean I'm sure it's like little kids are so funny to talk to is there anything in specific that comes to mind that he the, said just... no the memory that popped into my head when you asked was him dancing like mm, love that doing like these silly dances lately but crack me up and then my last question is um that i like to ask all my guests is what are you grateful for today today i'm grateful for say my family uh nice weather it's beautiful outside here today so grateful for that um and my friends i feel like i've got a really good supportive like community of friends right now and They've made a huge difference this past year while everything's been so difficult. So very grateful for that. I'm super pumped to see you've reached the end of the podcast. Not only because you hung out with me and our guests, but because you took the time to better your life through the stories and advice shared on this podcast. And if y'all would go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, that would seriously mean the world to me. And if something in the podcast really sparked an aha moment for you, please share it with those you love and get a conversation going because I truly believe that that is where the magic happens. So keep learning, seizing the moment, and intentionally creating your life. Thanks for listening, and I hope to have you back soon.